In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. The Gospel of today, uh, the second Sunday of Ba'una, and the week following the Holy Pentecost Feast, uh, is familiar to us from perhaps Sunday school about the Lord healing the man, uh, paralytic man, who was brought by his four friends and dropped in his midst. Um, I think this Gospel wants to reveal to the people the reality of the Lord's divinity and his power over sin and his ability to forgive sins. So how does he do this? He tells them, the man in front of them, that your sins are forgiven. And then, of course, this is something that's not seen, that's something that's hidden. It's a reality that wasn't revealed to the people. And then to make this reality more evident to them, he asks them which is easier, to tell him your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk. So to validate his forgiveness of sins, he tells the man, rise up and take up your bed and walk. So that they know and confirm that the the hidden truth of the forgiveness of sin is a truth and reality that Christ can um, can forgive sins. Um, and I think this goes along with the theme that we have this month in the church, the truth month. Um, uh, how... Uh, we're speaking about like the truth in the Sunday school classes and so on. Last week we spoke a little bit about what are some of the fallacies of that of the truth. So many people believe things about the truth that are false. We spoke about them last week. Today we'll speak about what are the realities of the truth. What are some of the truths of the truth? Um, and tomorrow, and next week, God willing, uh, we'll speak about what are why some people reject the truth. Um, so what are some of the realities of the truth? Number one is the truth is revealed and something that's not discovered. The truth is not a, philosoph- a philosophical idea. If we know the Lord, he said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? He didn't say I am the way, truth, and life. But he, he put the in between each one. So he is the way, meaning the only way. He is the truth. He is the only truth. Right? And he is the life, the only source of life. Um, so when we look at the truth as being a person, the God himself, and everything that is true is rooted and comes from him, then this gives um, a foundation for the truth and everything else to be built upon. <clears throat> so he's telling us that the truth is personable, and because the truth is personable, the truth is knowable. Right, So we know the truth because the truth is personable. It is God himself. And thus, because it's personal, is also something that must be revealed. It's just like um, we might see that somebody baked a cake. But unless we ask them why you bake this cake, we won't know the reason why. We All we know is that there is a cake. And we can tell you what's in the cake. But we don't know why there is a cake until we ask the creator who made it why they made the cake. What was the motive for them creating the cake? And that is something that's revealed to us. Um, the problem, my beloved, is when we attempt to depersonalize the truth. And this is what's happening in society today. As we make the truth less personal, or that, no, not personal at all, because if I can I reduce the truth to an idea or a philosophy, then it becomes open for discussion and it becomes subject to opinion. And when things are subject to opinion, they're also are subject to corruption. Right? And this is what we find now. The degradation and corruption of the truth. Right? What is obvious to be true 
now we find that being attacked in our society. The reality, my beloved, is the, that the, the reality we live in is founded upon truth. Is founded upon truth. So when the truth becomes relative, you'll find then what follows that is the perception that reality too is relative. The things around us aren't really as they seem. And of course, when we start to look at the reality that we live in as not being a truth, then we, we, we are deluded and this becomes a threat to our very existence. Um, we find this again all over. We find in the transgender movement, they say that boys can be stuck in girls' bodies and girls can be stuck in boys' bodies, right? But the reality and the truth is that there are boys and girls. Does this mean that some people don't struggle with their self-identity? No. Many people, and most people I would say, as they're going up in their teen years, they have this struggle of who am I? What's my place in this world? Right? Where do I belong? Where does God want me? This is a common, you know, question that all of us ask, right? So we all struggle to some degree of our identity. But does this change the fact that I'm a male or I'm a female? It doesn't, right? Rather than conforming, you know, um, uh, my mind to the reality and the truth, we want to change the, people want to change the truth and reality to fit their mind. And imagine now all of the ideas we have in our minds are very, very different. So imagine if we tried to apply this, everyone changed the reality to their mind. This would be utter insanity and chaos and madness. And like I said, it would threaten the existence of humanity. The truth, my beloved, is revealed because it's personal. Number two, the truth cannot be wielded or controlled. The truth is not some subject to someone's control or someone to wield the truth. Um, for example, there's the truth of like gravity, right? Gravity is something that no one controls. It's not in my power, okay? I'm going to, you know, if I'm on the top of the Empire State Building and the elevator's, uh, you know, busy, I'm not going to say, you know what? Let me just turn off gravity and let me walk down, you know, the Empire, the side of the Empire State Building. It doesn't work that way. If I jump off the Empire State Building and not take the elevator, I die because there's gravity. And there's nothing I can do about it, right? So it's in no one's control. No one can wield it. But rather, we submit to its influence. And all of our decisions are uh, work around the truth that is we live in. So if we give the example of the crowded elevator on the Empire State Building, what are my options? I jump, but then I die. Or I just wait patiently until the elevator is finished. I think most sane people would say, I would wait until my turn so I can come down from this place alive. All right? And felon, that's what we do. We submit to it and we work around it. The truth can't be changed, it just has to be accepted and dealt with. Um, and also it's not in the control of any individual or an institution. Right? And again, there are some, you know, institutions and pop culture that want to influence this, try to change this truth. But this again is, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a vile attempt. It's, it's empty, it's vain, right? Because we can't change the truth in reality. We have to face it. Number three, um, the, the third reality of the truth is those who know the truth know God and thus glorify Him as God. So those who know the truth know God because he is the founder of truth, and thus they glorify him as God. 
But those who deny the truth also deny God. So if I claim to be a Christian and I follow God and I deny the truth, I deny God as well. Listen to what St. John says. He says, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So he said the Lord Jesus, He is the truth. And He is God. So when I deny the truth, then I also deny God. You know, so there, there's no, you know, um, reconciliation between, you know, living in the truth and, or living in this false reality and being a Christian. They're not compatible with each other. They're ex- mutually exclusive. If you remember when the Lord spoke with Pilate, He said to him something important. I think I mentioned this last week, but I'll mention it again. Pilate asked him, are you a king then? And the response of the Lord, he said, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. The Lord said it, you know, subtly in this conversation. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So those who are not of the truth or of the lie don't hear his voice, right? And of course we know that the uh, Satan, the Lord called Satan the father of all liars, right? So if we say that the lie or the deception is of Satan and the truth is of God, I can't be of the people of the deception of the lie and follow them and claim to be a follower of God at the same time. It doesn't work. The fourth reality of the truth is that the truth is love. The truth is love. Society tries to tell us that acceptance and tolerance is under the guise of love. So they'll try to tell you, well, if you uh, tolerate me and you accept me, this is love. Yes, we accept you as an individual, but I can't accept an ideology and a philosophy and a belief system and say that this is not love if I don't agree with it. This is not love. Affirming a harmful ideology is not an expression of love. Affirming a harmful ideology doesn't communicate to that person that I love you. For example, uh, again, if we go back and we say the homosexual agenda, right? And if if many people, even people unfortunately in our church, they say, you know what, I don't do this, but I, I can support them. But again, here you're affirming uh, you know, uh, a, a corrupt and sinful ideology. And this is not a sign of love or tolerance. But this actually, you know, um, uh, makes the problem worse for them. It's just like if there's a poison, right? And I say, I'm not, this is poison. I'm not going to eat this poison because this will kill me. And somebody says, you know what? I want to eat the poison. And say, you know what? If you want to eat the poison, that's fine. That's up to you. Is that love? Is that love? No. Love would say, don't eat the, po- don't eat this poison because it will kill you. And I love you and I don't want to see this something, you know, bad happen to you. This is love. Where I'm expressing the truth because I love that person. It's not love to tell them whatever they want to hear and to affirm a false ideology or to affirm a sin. We affirm what is good, but we also are called to condemn what is evil. Unfortunately, there's a confusion now in this world. Affirm everything and condemn nothing. But then where's the truth and where's the, where's the lie? They begin to mesh together. And we can't have that. There's no share in light and darkness. 
There's no share with the lie and the truth. It's either a lie or it's the truth. The truth is the correct expression of love. A physician who's treating a patient um, and doesn't want to tell the patient that uh, his diagnosis will, could lead to a body deformity is not showing this patient love. Because if, I sh if the doctor keeps this from them, then their body will become deformed and they will live in a crippled state for the rest of their life. But I don't want to tell them because I don't want to make them feel bad. Would we ever go to a doctor who does this? I hope not. I hope not. Right? We want to go to a doctor who's going to tell us the truth of our condition so that we can get the help that we need as fast as we can. Not whenever it's too late. Right? So we need the truth. And we trust those yani, uh, um, who help us to tell us the truth. This is why uh, St. Paul tells us, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices in the truth. It doesn't rejoice in the lie or deception or under the guise of tolerance and acceptance. The fifth um, reality of the truth is that absolute truth is exclusive. Absolute truth is exclusive by definition. And many are offended. Anytime you mention the word absolute and exclusive, they begin to call you names. And they're offended by this. But... Uh, and they tell you you need to be more inclusive. However, if you think about the truth in and of itself, um, this in its, by definition is exclusive. Many people will say, you know, um, uh, does inclusion mean accepting everything? Or they'll say, they'll question that. Does inclusion mean accepting every, everything? No, it doesn't. If you think about it, and you, when you work in your employer, right? Every person can apply for any job, right? Nobody says you can't apply. Anybody come, even if I'm underqualified, overqualified, I can apply for a job, right? But then based on your merits and what you do and your qualifications, if you're hired, what does the employer do? The employer hires you and then gives you access to their building. They give you like a card or a chip and say, now you have access to the building. Right? Do we accuse the employer for being exclusive because everybody in the world doesn't have access to their building? We don't. Right? There are some certain qualifications if you meet them. The church is the same. The church is open to everyone. Right? But part of the requirement of the church is you have the faith of the, of the church. And if you don't have the faith of the church, then you exclude yourself. Right? You exclude yourself from communion and the mysteries and everything else. Right? But the church is inclusive. But I can exclude myself because there are certain rules and principles that govern this body, just like our employer. We don't live in a world that everything is inclusive. And we can't live in that kind of world. And this is what some people are trying to push on us, that we want to live everything as inclusive. But they can't, because it doesn't work. Right? It doesn't work. Many, cries, many uh, criticize Christianity as being narrow-minded, or exclusive and arrogant um, because we say that we have the truth and everything else is the lie. And again, Yanni, by definition, the truth is exclusive. If we go to the math teacher and we ask, or ask any of the young kids, two plus two equals four. Okay, I know it's early, but Yanni, this is very simple. Two plus two equals, can it equal five? Can it equal six? Can it equal one? Right? So this means what? 
every other number is excluded. So do we hear the five and the one and the two say shmana? Why am I excluded? Well, this is the truth. The truth is two plus two equals four. And this is the only correct answer. This is the only truth. All other numbers must be excluded. Right? So, by definition, you know, the truth must be exclusive. We also recognize the narrowness of the truth. And we live by it. How many of us have experienced the increased cost of the pump? Right? Can we say because the price of gas goes up, I'm tired of paying $5 a gallon for gas, I'm going to put water in my tank. Will this work? The reality is our cars were designed to work with gas and not with water. And if we try to put water in the tank, what will happen? It won't move anywhere. We'll actually break the, break the engine. Right? So, again, water is excluded from working in our car because there is a mechanism. There is a truth in the car. The physical world and the spiritual world are expressions of truth. And that is why they are, they are exclusive and narrow by nature. And God expects us to observe the truth of the world, um, and, uh, uh, and, and about the spiritual world and to learn from them. Listen to what St. Paul says. He says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So he says, look at the world that was created by God. How there are certain, you know, there are beauties, there are certain laws that govern these things. Before we discovered, you know, or we found gravity or the gravitational constant, was gravity a truth? Yeah, it was there. We just didn't, you know, find the, the, the constant yet. But everyone from Adam until now would say when an apple falls from the tree, you know, it's going to fall. It's not going to, you know, elevate. Right? And it didn't, you know, Isaac Newton discovered it and told us exactly how it worked. But Adam knew that from the very beginning. That when a fruit fell from the tree, it fell and hit the ground. It didn't need anything because this was the truth. So he says, look at this world that was created. His eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Us, humanity, is without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. So here he's saying that they're professing to be wise when they try to take what God created naturally, which is like the truth, and to make it into some kind of idol or make something else out of it. So they took, in, the, in these days, he says here that they changed the glory of the incorruptible God to an image like corruptible man. So they made statues that looked like men and called them gods and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So he says they took the created and made it the God. I know we, we do the same thing today. But rather than you know animals and things like that, that we make gods, we make them ideologies. And you'll find this. A person has a set of ideologies that I'm atheist or I'm whatever, I believe in evolution or I believe in this, I believe in this. And then everything else is built around it. I support the the trans movement and everything. And I do this. And all my ideologies must agree with this. So this becomes the lens by which I see the world. Right? This becomes the lens by which I see the world. They make this the idol rather than the truth in God. Lastly, the truth will be persecuted. 
The reality, my beloved, is that the truth will be persecuted. Listen to what St. Paul tells his disciple Timothy. He says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Why? But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. What's deception? Is that not based on a lie? It's based on a lie. So he's saying there that if we want to live in uh, godly in Christ, the truth will eventually meet the lie and those who perpetuate the lie. Unfortunately, and we see this. How many times have you seen people who are fired from the work because they don't support, support an ideology? Or people who are not granted a promotion or position because they don't support an ideology? Unfortunately, there are some people who profess to be Christians who give in to this and say, you know, I can support this ideology, just give me this job, give me this position. But I question whether these are true Christians or not. When St. Paul was saying this, he wasn't prophesying or foretelling something new. But I think, rather, it was an honest evaluation of what happens when the absolute truth meets the self-centered hearts of fallen man, or the pride of man. This is what happens. There's always going to be this clash between the truth and the lie. And we read this in the Synexarium all the time. You know, when our forefathers came, and they, Diocletian and so on, started, he rejected Christianity and began to offer incense to the idols. This was the lie. And in return, they said, we're going to profess the truth and he's going to declare the lie. And the two met together. And the martyrs died for the, um, their, their Christ, died for the truth, right? And for this is an unfortunate reality that as Christians, I think we need to, um, grow our endurance and so that way, if the time comes where we must suffer for the truth, we'll be ready. We won't be feeble and weak. I speak to myself first, my beloved. Lastly, in the, just some final sauce, the true Christian is the lover of the truth. Listen again to what St. Paul says to the Thessalonians. He says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So he's speaking about the coming of the second coming or the coming of the Antichrist. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie and that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in the lie. So St. Paul ties here the loving of the truth and salvation together. That when we love the truth and we live by the truth, this is the way and path of salvation. But when I compromise the truth and I begin to compromise reality, this is where he gets into here when he says he will give them up to strong delusion. If you insistent on believing a lie, God can withdraw his grace and allow you to be taking this lie and all of the consequences that will follow. It's no... Yani, Again, yani, many people who follow the lie, they begin to hurt themselves and to hurt others around them. So it doesn't come without consequence. Um, <clears throat> so we spoke today about the realities of the truth. And just to recap, we said that truth is revealed, it's not discovered. The truth cannot be wielded or controlled by an individual or an institution. Those who know the truth know God and thus glorify Him as God. 
Number four, the truth is love, and it's not, you know, under the guise of acceptance and tolerance. Number five, the absolute truth is exclusive by nature. And lastly, the truth will be persecuted. May God grant us all yani, the, the strength and courage to live by the truth and to live the truth. And knowing that even if we're persecuted because of the truth, we are persecuted because, for Christ. So just because it's not specifically about you know your Christianity, which it will come to that, and it's coming to that, but now it's just because you say what is true, and I suffer for this, there's a blessing for this, and there's a crown in heaven for those who do so. May God grant us all his blessing. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.